You're listening to the weekly Joel Klatt segment podcast. Listen to it live every Wednesday between 8 and 8.30 a.m. during the football season. Presented exclusively by Audi Flatirons in Broomfield. Exceeding your experience from the first mile to the last. Man, so impatient. Dra- There's so much drama going on. So right much now. drama. He he probably this is probably one day where he misses not being in that chair right now, just to be able to just sift through all this. Good morning, Joel. Presented by Audi Flatirons. How you doing? Good morning. What's up, fellas? All right. Well, I got to ask you. What what do you make of this whole Brian Flores uh, stuff? Well, I mean, shoot. I mean, it's 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 unfortunate. There's no doubt. I think that he got an absolutely raw deal with Miami. I was surprised that he was fired. There's no doubt that they were, I mean, and, and he apparently has the evidence that they were trying to, to bottom out. I won't say tank, but bottom out in order to get draft picks in order to try to rebuild. I thought he was doing a good job. Um, so I, I was surprised that he was fired at Miami. It certainly raised my eyebrows. Now, having said that, the one that didn't make sense was the Broncos accusations because, you know, that, that can be documented about how the interview went when it started. Um, there can be evidence presented on Denver's side about the thoroughness of the notes or the conversations and, and it seems like, and, and if you kind of follow Mike Kliss, who's obviously all over this, it, it seems like that is, is the case. So, so that one, and in particular with his comments about how the process went when Denver and Miami played and the media asked him about the process and, and so on. And that can be admissible uh, in, you know, in a court, certainly, uh, all of that evidence. The Belichick texts were fascinating. I mean, fascinating. And I think that we would all be naive to think uh, that what you just described, Mike, doesn't happen where, you know, it's always just like we don't have a front runner until we interview everybody and then we're going to pick. I, I just if anyone's gone through a hiring process in their life and in, in, in any you know walk of life, they know that. You there? It, hiring is like golf. There's always going to be a leader in the clubhouse, you know, and then somebody is going to either have to pass that person or that person's going to end up getting the job. Now, the the text certainly make it seem as if New York was settled on Dable and was using or potentially using Flores you know, to, to get around some of the Rooney rule type of issues that the NFL sets forth. That one's way murkier, murkier than, than the Denver situation. So I'm really interested to see how this all shakes out, what type of evidence that the Giants have, what type of evidence that Brian has uh, moving forward. But this is this is certainly not a good look on the Giants organization. I don't think it's a good look for the Dolphins. But like I said, and I'm trying not to, you know, use the Broncos colored glasses, but that one doesn't ring as as true to me as the others do. It just the evidence is not there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see exactly <clears throat> because the the onus of, of uh, you know, the onus of guilt is, I guess, it's on the plaintiff, right? You have to provide the evidence that says this actually occurred. And it'll be interesting to see what evidence that Brian Flores and his team actually have. All right. 
moving off of that stuff, Joel, because I think this is another fascinating aspect of what's going on right now. But let me ask you this. Minnesota, having interviews with having interviews with uh, uh, I'm sorry, having interviews uh, with Jim Harbaugh and going through that process, National Signing Day, uh, you know, uh, Michigan and all all this kind of stuff going on today. So what do you what do you make of Jim Harbaugh and the potential of him leaving Michigan to go to Minnesota? I, I've thought a lot about this and. You would rather be Oklahoma and have your coach up and leave seven hours after your last regular season game and feel the, the heartache and the despair and, and the, you know, uh, the, almost feel like you get stabbed in the back. You'd rather be Oklahoma and have that timing and go through the process to get Brent Venables than be Michigan and now be into February and lose your coach. Just ask Colorado when Mel Tucker left for, for Michigan State so late in the process. This this is not good for Michigan at all. And obviously, the, I don't think that the timing with National Signing Day is quite as, as significant as it would have been in the past, Mark, because the early signing period is where these schools do most of their, you know, quote, damage, if you will, when it comes to signing players. So having said that, I don't think it's as, is as big of a deal from a recruiting per perspective as it is for who do you hire moving forward? The, your pool of candidates is, is vastly reduced because of the timing of what this all is. Now, having said that, I've always thought that Jim was very happy at Michigan. However, if you're looking at this and you take three steps back and you think to yourself, okay, he went in there and totally changed that program completely and, and rebuilt them into what I would c categorize as, as a highly competitive top-end college football program. And yet that wasn't good enough for everybody because the, the only question was, well, when are you going to beat Ohio State? When are you going to beat Ohio State? And what people failed to realize is that Ohio State had really separated themselves not only from Michigan but from the rest of the Big Ten and along with others like Alabama and Clemson and Georgia had separated themselves from the rest of the country and how they recruited. And so now the expectation is not just way to go, Jim, you did it, you beat Michigan, but okay, you did it once. Now we can do this every year. And he knows that the talent gap is still vast between Michigan and Ohio state. And yet the expectation is going to be that he continues to beat them moving forward. And I think he understands the uniqueness of the team that he just had, the quality of, of players that he just had, and he understands the unicorn style of season that that they just were able to put together in Michigan. And I think he probably views this as a good time to get out and be, because those expectations are, are not going anywhere. There's also part of me that thinks that this guy and his competitive nature went to Michigan and he probably achieved what he went there to achieve, which was play at the top end of college football. It wasn't necessarily about winning a national title as it was about, we want to win the big 10. We want to, you know, go to a playoff. We want to beat Ohio state. And he achieved those things. And he put Michigan back into a position that they've been at, you know, for the majority of their history. And yet here he is. And there's this one itch. There's this one failure. There's these five yards 
that he fell short from winning a Super Bowl that's still on his resume. And and I think that he wants to go and he wants to fix that. I think he wants to go and win a Super Bowl. And I'm not going to be shocked if he goes and, and he's the Minnesota head coach. You know how we're fixated on quarterbacks here. Does Jim Harbaugh strike you as a Kirk Cousins guy? That's a great question. Um, That's why I'm here. (laughs) He strikes me as a guy that is one of the rare coaches across any level that can win with lesser quarterbacks. And that's because the style of football with which Jim Harbaugh plays and his identity of the teams that he coached have have what I would call high-character football. Now, what do you mean high-character football? Maybe integrity football. That just means that, like, between the lines, I'm not talking about, like, truth and integrity as you would, you would see it in the real world. I'm talking about, like, the integrity of they're going to be great at the line of scrimmage. They're going to be good on defense. They're going to do the things necessary to, to win the field position battle and run the football. And, and in general, what he does in his style is that he minimizes the effect of the quarterback. Now, in the National Football League, your quarterback still has to be great, and I think that's ultimately what held them back in their Super Bowl win was that they didn't have a quarterback that made enough plays at the end even though Kaepernick, I thought, played brilliantly during the course of that run and just came up kind of short there in that last game against Baltimore and their terrific defense. So I, I, I think that Jim's one of the rare guys that is not sitting there just looking at it from a quarterback perspective as much as he is from a holistic team identity perspective. So to answer your question, I, I think that he probably wouldn't mind the Kirk Cousins. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, you can win a lot of games with Kirk Cousins when you have that, what, you know, you call integrity football. Um, you know, what I grew up in is just absolutely dominating the line of scrimmage. That was, you know, the the mantra of every team that I played with. So I, I just, I'm, I adhere, I guess, to that philosophy. Uh, obviously, here in Denver, we have a new coach in um, in. In Hackett, and obviously he's got bloodlines in the National Football League. Grew up, Nathaniel did, the son of Paul Hackett, who was an NFL coach forever. Um, Clint Kubiak now just coming in as the passing coordinator and quarterback coach. So that was, you know, that's been news this morning as well. What did you kind of make of that hire, and, and what do you think of uh, Nathaniel Hackett being the head coach of the Denver Broncos? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know Nathaniel uh, well. I know that he's very well respected uh, across the industry, and and to be honest, I I thought probably what a lot of Bronco fans thought was this was inroads into a strategic hire uh, with the goal of potentially getting Aaron Rodgers, and so we see, we'll see if that that actually happens. Um, but having said that, I keep saying this to you guys, and I feel like a bit of a broken record, and I know it sidesteps the question, but I don't, it just doesn't matter. If you're talking about the three issues that the Broncos have, owner, quarterback, coach, they hired a coach, and that's the less lesser of the three questions. That's, that's the least impactful of the three questions. The culture of the organization is going to be set with the owner. 
and the owner is going, that's going to trickle down and that's going to do everything that you need to do from a culture perspective about winning and the expectation and the way people behave, all of that. That comes from, from ownership. Then you need to have a quarterback to win, and he's going to set really the culture in the locker room. And then the coach is just kind of there, guys, in, in, in the National Football League. I hate to say it that way, and I know I'm probably minimizing it way too much, way too much. But having said that, of the three huge question marks that the Denver Broncos have, coach is widely, in my mind, the lesser of the three questions. So they got to figure out ownership. they got to figure out the quarterback before I can tell you if Nathaniel Hackett's going to be any good or not. But there's no doubt that Nathaniel Hackett is is coming here with the the idea, the promise, uh, the expectation that this guy single-handedly is going to rejuvenate the Broncos' offense, no matter who the quarterback is. Let me ask you this. From a quarterback's perspective, you know how much I love your QB on QB talk. From a quarterback's perspective, what do you want from your play caller? How how will oh. we how will we know <laughs> if we Nathaniel Hackett really has the goods? What do you want, quarterback? You know, play play calling is is a beautiful thing. There are guys that play checkers and there are guys that play chess in in football at all levels. And 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 when you get someone that really understands how to call a game, it's a beautiful thing. And what I want from a from a play caller as a quarterback is someone that understands what I'm dealing with first and foremost, and then also is, is building us into success and is using formations and is using movement and is using play concepts to gain advantages throughout the game. I don't want someone reaching in a bag and playing checkers. Checkers is just maybe a move or two moves ahead. Chess is five, six, seven moves ahead. And, and that's the difference. And so I, I want a guy that's building us into success. I want, I want someone that understands how to, how to manipulate the defense in the first quarter, knowing that he's going to get them in the third quarter. Let me tell you a quick baseball story, if you will. And this hopefully illustrates what I want in a play caller on the football side. John Smoltz, as you guys know, works for, for Fox, and I've been able, fortunate enough to spend some time with John. And I, I, I love baseball, obviously, so I would talk to him about those pitching staffs of the, of the 90s Atlanta Braves, the Maddox, Glavin, you know, Smoltz era Atlanta Braves. And I was talking to him about Maddox and how Maddox just had nothing even close to overpowering stuff, but pinpoint accuracy, and we were talking, and John who was a very different pitcher than, than Greg learned a ton from Greg. And what he learned was what I was talking about here with a play caller, how to build yourself into success, how to think seven and eight moves ahead. So they're in spring training. I believe he said it was 96. I could be wrong, but I believe he said it was 96 and, and they're playing a team. And, and he says to both Tom and John Smoltz in the dugout, he was like, you know, I'm going to be setting up this this guy on our on the the opposing team today, and and I I think he's probably going to hit a home run to left field today. And Tom Glavin and John Smoltz are like, what are you like, what are you talking about? And Greg and Greg's like, well, I know his hot zone, I know where he hits home runs to left field, and so I'm going to give him one on a hitter's count in that spot, and I think he he could probably hit it out to left. 
And and they're like, well, why would you do that? And he was like, well, because I'm going to set them up for that same count when we play them in, in the second series of the year. So sure enough, that was my witness. Smoltz tells me the stories. Gets to that count, throws that same pitch. Guy hits it out to left field. This is spring training. And he comes back to the dugout, and, and Tom and John Smoltz, their jaws are on the floor, and they're like, are you kidding me? How did you know? And he's like, well, I know he's, he can hit that pitch, but you watch. Like, now I've set him up because – when I get to that same count, now I can I can screw him in the second series is the way he said it with a different pitch in a different location because he's going to be thinking that that's the pitch I always go to in that count and he's going to be looking for that and just sitting there dead red. And so sure enough, second series coming around, he strikes the guy out in a similar situation and he was setting him up in spring training for an at-bat that was taking place in the second or third series of the year. As an offensive play caller, I want you to be setting me up for success in future series and in future quarters. I also want you to not get bored with success. And these are two, you know, different but very similar things. And I'll point to the series that, that the New England Patriots had against the Los Angeles Rams when they went down in the Super Bowl. And actually, you know, what's interesting is Dan Orlovsky, I've talked about this series before on this show, but Dan Orlovsky did a great little breakdown on this on NFL um, uh, whatever they live yesterday or the day before. And he called it one of their favorite, one of his favorite series of Tom Brady ever. And what it was, was a series in which Josh McDaniels gave Tom Brady three straight plays. That was the exact same play concept and formation. He dressed it up with motion a little bit differently, but he attacked the Rams because they found something that the Rams were struggling with. And he gave Tom Brady answers. So they were in an empty set, and he had a hitch on one side, he had a little choice route on the right side, and then he had Gronkowski on what was considered a slot fade. And three different plays in a row, they ran this same concept, and the Rams changed their coverage on every single one, and Tom threw it into a different spot. And Tom was surgical in how he was attacking that defense. And what Josh McDaniels gave Tom Brady was two things. Josh McDaniels did not get bored with success, and he gave his quarterback answers. So if you can do three things for me as a quarterback, you're a great play caller. If you can build me into future success by setting up the defense with concepts, formations, and movement that will allow us to have success in the future, I love you. And number two, I want you to not get bored with success. We call it don't go get, uh, go broke taking a profit, right? You don't get bored with success. If something's working, let's sit there and make them prove that they can stop it. And then number three, give me answers. I want to have answers. Answers, answers. That was one of the things uh, that you go back to that Rams-NFC championship game. They were on a second down, second and short. They ended up scoring on the series, but it was second and short, and they called a screen pass. And you could see Sean McVay saying, like, oh, that's my bad, that's my bad. And Troy did a great job of, of analyzing the situation. He said, McVay is saying my bad because there's no other place to throw the ball in a screen pass concept other than the screen. And you got Matt Stafford, and he's in rhythm, and you've got some of those weapons. What you want to do is give him answers. Answers means options to go attack the defense. That's why he thought a screen pass on a second and short was a bad call, because you're not giving the quarterback options. You're telling him where to throw the ball and when, and so he's got his hands totally tied in that situation. You got all that, Nathaniel Hackett? You got all that? I think he knows, but uh, we'll see if he can do it. We'll see if he can actually go out and apply it. But it makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Joel, you're the best, buddy. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Have a great day. All right, Joel Clapp, presented by Audi Flatirons. Coming up next, Brian Flores this morning. 
talking about his allegations, his claims against the Broncos. You'll hear from Flores next. Hello, this is Ryan Watson, Vice President and General Manager of Audi Flatirons and Audi Boulder Service. When was the last time a dealership delivered the experience you were looking for? Have you ever felt that buying a car was solely about making the sale? It should be about the relationship, beginning with your commitment to do business with us and continuing through the years to follow. Our team is dedicated to exceeding your expectations from the first mile to the last. Come see us in person or visit us online at AudiFlatirons.com or AudiBoulderService.com. 